Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Uh, it's good to see you with us today, whether you're here every week or whether you're a guest visiting with us today. And when we gather for worship, some of us are here in the room, others of us are joining us virtually through the live stream or watching the service at some point later on in the week. However, you are coming to be with us today. Uh, we pray God's peace and mercy be with you all. Gathering for Pleasant Street, uh, worship here as we do each Sunday, we say welcome because when we come into this place, we are welcome. In the presence of God himself, he comes to meet with us. And today we have a chance to remember that in a wonderfully tangible way through some baptisms. In a little bit, we're going to get to welcome and celebrate our two newest members of the church, Stella and Tommy. But before we get to that, one of my favorite things to highlight about baptism is that in, in baptism, God takes something as simple as water, and he uses it to give us a picture of bestowing his belonging upon us, cleansing us of our sin, welcoming us into his family. It's really amazing because we interact with water every day. And if God would take something this simple and ordinary and, and give it such profound meaning, imagine what God is doing with a place like this, with ordinary people like you and I. So my friends, welcome to Pleasant Street. We're glad that you're here with us, ordinary as we are, in the presence of God who takes ordinary things and uses them pro to proclaim his grace, which is what we've come here to do together today. But before we do that, I want to highlight uh, one announcement for you, which is that in the life of our congregation, we've had nominations for elders and deacons that have just gone out. And for those of you who have been wrestling with and discerning this call, we wanted to provide an opportunity right after the service today to talk for a few minutes with current elders and deacons downstairs in the foundation about what it's like to do this work and maybe give you a place to ask some of your questions. So if you are one of those people who's received a nomination and if you can join us, please do so today after the service. Uh, we'll start right after the service downstairs in the uh, foundation. Friends, would you rise in body and spirit? Let's worship the Lord together. People of God, in whom do you trust? I Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to God's great pleasure, to the praise of his glorious grace. soul, oh my soul, 
Places in the world today where people have to go to great lengths to get water. Here in the West, water is easily and readily accessible to us. And so sometimes we forget. And so, friends, Christians, people in the world, 
who have to work very hard and travel very far to find water can remind us this morning just how important water and clean water is for our survival. And when we come into the presence of God, God takes water as a sign of grace and we say, yeah, exactly. Which is why when we gather here together on Baptism Sunday, it is baptism that we share in common and is baptism that reminds us of the presence of God and God's grace, which we are not nearly as mindful of or aware of our dependence upon as we need to be. And so my friends, Let's remember our baptisms together. For brothers and sisters, baptism is the sign and seal of God's covenant promises to this people. In baptism, God promises by grace alone to forgive our sins, to adopt us into the church, the body of Christ, to send the Holy Spirit daily to renew and cleanse us, and one day to resurrect us to eternal life. My friends, we get to see and hear God's promises expressed to us in the waters of baptism. Friends, water cleanses It purifies, it refreshes, it sustains. My friends, Jesus Christ is living water. Through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the power of sin was broken. God's kingdom entered our world, and we, through it, have become citizens of that kingdom. Through baptism, Christ calls us to love him and trust him completely, to forsake the evil of the world, and to live a new and holy life. And so, my friends, we neither despair of God's mercy when we sin, nor do we continue to sin. For baptism is the sign and seal of God's promise to wash us of our sins. It is God's seal assuring us that we belong to Jesus Christ in life and death. So my friends, congregation, I ask you once again in the presence of God to reject sin and to profess your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's do that together now. Brothers and sisters, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn again from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? We do. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace and love? We do. Will you be Christ's faithful disciples, obeying his words and showing his love? My friends, then in the presence of God's grace expressed to us in baptism, I have a dedication for you. Brothers and sisters, washed by Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. Therefore, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. For if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And all of this, my friends, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Thanks be to God. Friends, would you rise in body and spirit and let's sing together, Wash, O God, our sons and daughters.
Remembering to, you may be seated. Uh, remembering together this gift which God has given to us, which unites us in common with Christians across the world and throughout history, we, we now are energized and excited to be able to witness the bestowal of this baptismal identity on our two newest members. So I want to invite the Kewick family to come up and join us, as well as... Uh, Family who would like to join us as well, I think we can make room. Connor and Lindsay, we celebrate this gift of God's grace together with joy. In presenting uh, Tommy and Stella for baptism, you announce your love for Jesus Christ, your eagerness to share in the life of Christ's church and your commitment to live as Christ's disciples in the world. And so I ask you and the congregation of which you are a part to profess your faith. Sometimes you need the help, right? Connor and Lindsay, do you promise to continue to instruct Tommy and Stella in the truth of God's word? in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, to pray for them, to teach them to pray, and to train them in Christ's way by your example through worship and in the nurture of the church. What's your answer? And God does help us. Yes. (laughs) 
It does. And congregation, I have a question for you as well. What do you promise? Tommy and Stella. Amen. Tommy, come on over here, buddy. Can I lift you up for a second? Friends, in the baptisms of Tommy and Stella, God reminds us that before we could choose God, God claimed us. When we were orphans and strangers in the world, God adopted us too. Congregation, just as God marks these children, so too does God renew his claim on you. Let's pray together. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, upon Tommy and Stella, Lord, that this water may be a spring gushing up to eternal life. Wash away their sin, raise them to new life, and graft them to the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, that they may have wisdom to discern their gifts, strength to obey your word, and joy in answering your call. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory now and forever. Amen. Hey, Tommy, see this water, buddy? Tommy, Tommy, hey, buddy. For you, Tommy, God created the world. For you, Jesus came into the world. For you, Jesus lived a pure and holy life. For you, Jesus died and he conquered death. For you, he stands in heaven interceding. And for you, he is coming again. Tommy, all this Jesus did for you before you knew anything of it. And we, your parents, your family, your church and I, promise to tell you this story until you can make it your own. For in this, the gospel is made real. We love because he first loved us. Ready, buddy? Thomas James Kuick, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stella, do you want to touch this? Look at this. Do you see this? You hold that sucker. We're going we're gonna to do this. Do you want to feel the water? Yeah? It's warm. I made it warm just, just for you. There you go. Stella, Stella, excuse me, for you God created the world. For you Jesus was born into the world. For you he lived a holy life. For you, he died, and for you, he conquered death. For you, he is praying in heaven, and for you, he is coming back. All this Jesus did for you, Stella, before you knew anything of it. And we promise, your parents, your family, the church, and I, to tell you this story until you can make it your own. For this is how the gospel is made real. We love because he first loved us. And so, Stella Irene Kuick. I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, 
in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Brothers and sisters, receive Tommy and Stella into Christ's church. I charge you to nurture and love them and to teach them to be Christ's faithful disciples. Amen. I have a prayer for you guys, but before you go, I wanted to invite Kate up. Where is she? There she is, because we have some gifts for you guys, and we can applaud for this. So we've just made promises as a church to all together teach you about Jesus and how to live as his disciple. And so Kate has some gifts for us on behalf of the church to help you guys to know this story and learn what it means for you. And we saw this before, but this is a way to... Do you remember that, buddy? We were talking about that before. That one is for you, Stella. I'm not sure how this tastes, but I think you may find out for us. That's for you guys as a way to remember when you hold it that God, no matter what, holds you. All right. <laughs> All right, let's pray together. Gracious Lord, look with kindness upon these parents. May they ever rejoice in the gift that you've given them. Grant them the presence of your Holy Spirit that they may bring up these children to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Amen. Friends, as they make their uh, way down, I'm going to invite the band to join us up front, and we're going to sing together a, a hymn that I think has been very important to you and your family. Let's sing together. Friends, you can stand. When he cometh, when he cometh to make up his jewels, all his jewels, all his jewels, his love and his own. Like the stars of the morning, his bright crown adoring, they are shining in their beauty. Crems for his crown. He will gather, he will gather the gems for his kingdom. All the pure ones, all the bright ones, his love and his own. Like the stars of the morning, his bright crown adoring. They are shining their beauty, bright gems for his crown. Little children, little 
little children they who love their redeemer all the jewels precious jewels his love and his own like the stars of the morning for his bright crown adoring they shall shine in their beauty bright gems for his crown. Now friends, let us declare our faith in God to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to hell. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. So I'd like to invite the deacons and other helpers to come up for our morning offerings. So we have two offerings this morning. Uh, the first is for our ministries here at Pleasant Street and the second is for our middle school and high school youth groups. And when we're generous, uh, it's an expression of love, love to God. God has the ultimate picture of generosity when he gave his very son for our sins. So we're, we're asked to give in love, um, but with the heart. And we could put our trust in God's provision. So with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. You're abundant in your grace to us. You're abundant in your love to us. Use this offering to transform, transform us, transform this land, transform Whitensville. In your name we pray, amen. So in this month, uh, in this season, this fall season, we've been showcasing some of our uh, mission ministries. Uh, so we have a video this morning, and this is of a, a new missionary that we're supporting. So this is with the resonant. Taught my heart to fear and grace. 
been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. You may rise in body or spirit. morning we hear this good news that God makes peace with us and forgives our sins. We get a chance now to pass that peace with each other. So if you're new here or if you're visiting or if you've been here for all your life, let's turn to our brothers and sisters in a real way to share Christ's peace. The peace of Christ is with you. Will all the kids age four through second grade come up to be dismissed for Kid Street? People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us 
Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Friends, good morning. Gathered around this baptismal font together, uh, which may have been the font that some of us were actually baptized with, uh, or it, it may be new to us as visitors or guests in this church, we're reminded that here in this place, God's grace is available to all of us that releases chains and opens us up to be able to pray to God, to call Him Father, which is what we get to do together now as a church, as we lift up our prayers. Before we do that, there's a couple of announcements that I want to highlight for you. Uh, one is that last Sunday, uh, you did not hear, but we, we had learned this week, and some of you may have seen, that uh, Edie Jortzma passed away. Uh, and it was very sudden and surprising for us. And so we want to think of um, her sons for Kurt and Randy uh, and offer condolences to them after their mom's passing and remember them in our prayer. The other is that I just learned that Howard uh, DeVries broke his foot um, just two days ago, I think. And so I want to pray for Howard and Marlene. Um, and then finally that Jody, one of our deacons, her brother uh, just this week was diagnosed with uh, stomach cancer. Um, and so we will remember them in addition to the other names and stories that we lift up together. Let's, let's pray. Creating and recreating God. It is good and it is our joy to give you thanks and praise for your grace pictured to us in the waters of baptism this morning. For at the chaos of formless waters, in the void of order and meaning, your spirit hovered and you brought life. You separated the waters and made space for land. You filled the land with plants and animals and trees and you nourished them with water from rain and through streams. Even the formless and terrifying sea became a place where life could grow and sea creatures fill the water. From dirt you created us and formed us in your image. Water washes our skin and cleanses our bodies, and when our sin introduced chaos again into your world, you hovered over us with promises to recreate a people and the whole world. With the flood, you cleansed the earth of wickedness and preserved for yourself a people who floated safely on the waters. Again, you restored the waters to their place and brought back dry land so that life could begin again. And your promises filled the sky in a rainbow, promises never to cleanse the earth for our sin again, but instead to cleanse us, to renew us, to pour out a new spirit upon us and give us a new heart. Just as your spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis, we ask that you would hover over those whom we think of today as we pray. We pray for the sick. We lift up to you Jody W.'s brother, Jim, as he begins sudden treatment for stomach cancer and is even grappling with this diagnosis. We pray for Howard, who broke his foot. We ask that you would bring healing to it over the next six to eight weeks. We pray for Rick and Leanne as they continue to heal and recover from treatments and procedures. We pray for Carol L. We, play, we pray for Jack. We pray for Betsy preparing for surgery and for Minnie and Sandy as well. 
Lord, we lift up to you Kurt and Randy after the passing of their mom and our sister Edie. Lord God, your spirit at the right time came and hovered over John at the waters of the Jordan. And John proclaimed a baptism of cleansing and new life for us. And you sent your son born of a woman, born in the waters of a womb into the world. And he was baptized and counted among us at the Jordan. And we behold his glory at a mountain. We saw Jesus use saliva and earth to heal a blind man, to use water to wash his disciples' feet, and to give his life for our sins. And at the crucifixion, water flows from his wounded side. Jesus, your wounds become for us a font of life. Washed in the water of baptism, we today are given a picture of being cleansed by your blood. With water, you mark us, and by your promises, you remake us. You hover over us, indwell us, and bring order to our chaotic lives, and life begins to grow up inside of us. Thank you for glimpses of healing and for the fruit of faith and new life in our midst today. Thank you for elder and deacon nominations. We pray for them as they think about taking up the mantle of leading this church for the next couple of years. We thank you for a recent classes meeting with leaders from our region who could gather in your presence to remember the work that you are doing throughout New England. We think of our brother, Joel Gagnon, and River of Life, our sister congregation up in Maine as they get ready for an ordination for Pastor Joel. We think of partners in the gospel whom some we've sponsored for a long time and others are brand new. We think of Steve and Sandy Frieswick, some of our missionaries in Canada and Toronto. We ask, Lord, that you would hover over them as they seek to bring the good news of Jesus to uh, the immigrant Islamic community that they serve there. And we pray for Joshua and Emily and their family, a new partner in ministry uh, in China. We pray for them as they uh, anticipate this work and prepare to move into country. Be with them, protect them, hover over them as they begin to discern what you are doing and how they can help. Lord, even now, as we read the news and see that nations rage and grief roils and news overwhelms us and death threatens to drown us, we remember that you proclaim over us that we have already drowned and that we are even now being raised to new life in you. You promise that one day the seas of chaos will become as still as crystal, a solid foundation for your throne and ground upon which we will bow and proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray to you all these things with joy in our hearts. Thank you for the gift of baptism and for the mark that you have put on Tommy and Stella. Thank you for reminders of our own baptism and the mark that you've put on us. Help us to sense that watermark deep in our lives. Make us to look more like Jesus through it. Gracious God, we ask that you would accept our prayers and those that we offer silently in your name. Give us now the strength to wait patiently for your answers and to live faithfully in response to your call. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning. We have three different passages to read from this morning for our scripture. The first from Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. And from John 8, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you were looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And from Romans 6. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be, also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the word of the Lord. And we read three articles from the Canons of Dort. Article 1, The Effect of the Fall on Human Nature. Human beings were originally created in the image of God and were furnished in mind with a true and sound knowledge of the Creator and all things spiritual, in will and heart with righteousness, and in all emotions with purity. Indeed, the whole human, body, whole human being was holy. However, rebelling against God at the devil's instigation and by their own free will, they deprive themselves of these outstanding gifts. Rather, in their place, they brought upon themselves blindness, terrible darkness, futility, and distortion of judgment in their minds, perversity, defiance, and hardness in their hearts and wills, and finally, impurity in all their emotions. Article 3, Total Inability. Therefore, all people are conceived in sin and are born children of wrath unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins, and slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they are neither willing nor able to return to God, 
to reform their distorted nature or even to dispose themselves to such reform. And Article 6, the saving power of the gospel. What, therefore, neither the light of nature nor the law can do, God accomplishes by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word or the ministry of reconciliation. This is the gospel about the Messiah, through which it has pleased God to save believers in both the Old and the New Testaments. If you're just joining us, we've been going this fall through a 400-year-old document called the Canons of Dort, which is one of the confessions of our church's faith. Um, And thank you, John, for all of that reading together this morning. Friends, let's pray. Gracious God and most merciful Father, you have given us the rich and precious jewel of your word. Assist us with your spirit that it could be written in our hearts and give us everlasting comfort. Assist us by your spirit that this word might reform us, that it might renew us into your image, that it might build us up into the perfect building of Christ, and that it might increase us in all virtue. Grant this, Father, for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. Heidi Haverkamp is an Episcopal priest with a great-grandfather who was a Dutch Reformed minister. His name was Anthony Haverkamp, and he was a prominent pastor in Reformed churches in the 1940s and 50s in the Midwest. Anthony Haverkamp was different than the priests and pastor people that Heidi had grown up knowing. His parishioners called him Domine, which means Lord Pastor. He only ever drove black Buicks, he wore a suit and tie when he mowed the lawn, he did not take a newspaper on Sundays, and he declined ever to play catch with his son saying something to the effect of, I'm sorry, but I just can't be that kind of father for you. The Lord Pastor had six children. None of them stayed in church. In fact, the whole family, it would seem, has left behind their dour Calvinist heritage. And when we consider that that heritage includes things like the doctrine of total depravity, perhaps that's not hard to imagine. Total depravity for you, for the uninitiated, sounds like a bad name for a high school metal band. But it is, in fact, an astoundingly dire theology. Total depravity tells us that left to our own, we will not ever seek God. In fact, we pull away from God like God is someone with a poor sense of personal space. And as a result, we are tilted toward evil and we are unable to right ourselves. In fact, we have tilted so far, we have fallen over. We are lost, we are slaves, we are spiritually dead. Heidi, on the other hand, was raised in a university neighborhood with different doctrines. She grew up in a college town where it was well-established orthodoxy, though no one would have used that word, that people are basically good and that the best sort of life that you could live is the one where you try to make the world a better place. 
In her mainline Protestant Sunday school, she was taught that she could change the world, that she could be a good and happy person who does the right thing. And man, does she want to do the right thing. Heidi takes very seriously the need to demonstrate God's love and social action. So Heidi keeps lists. She keeps lists about how to live more responsibly, to eat less meat, to recycle more, to call her political representatives, to buy less plastic, to reduce her carbon footprint, to speak up about racism, to give more to charities, to show up at community police meetings. But, she writes, no matter what I do or how hard I try to be righteous, the world always spins me to my knees at every turn with cruelty, catastrophe, and waste. I do not feel theologically equipped to handle the enormous weight of evil that I see in the world. After all, she writes, I was raised to believe that humans are capable of stopping it. So recently, it turns out that Heidi's imagination has been captivated by the doctrine of total depravity. She's come to a find a surprising grace in the bleak, unflinching outlook of her Calvinist heritage. Why? She says, because total depravity matches the sin-sized hole in my belly in a way that all people are basically good never could. The more that I make the salvation of the world a rational, solvable problem, the deeper I seem to sink into futility. But when unreasonable human sin is something I expect, then I can face the headwinds of evil without despair. When I believe that human life, including my own, will never be without sin and suffering, I have a greater ability to tolerate pain and horror and to keep doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. I have taken anti-anxiety medication, she writes. I find total depravity nearly as effective as a remedy for crippling anguish. I tell you that story because I found it really interesting that Heidi, the Episcopal priest, found help in the doctrine of total depravity, which probably strikes you as ironic. You know Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs believed when he was alive that things lead to their opposites. There's something about the world that's counterintuitive. And if there's one thing that's true about the canons of Dort, it's that these fussy and feisty doctrines do lead to their opposites. The doctrine of election, properly understood, gives you a greater humility and greater basis for inclusion, not less. The doctrine of particular atonement that we looked at last week, the idea that God applies the death of Jesus to people whom he's chosen, that actually leads to greater cause for evangelism and sharing the gospel, not less. And today, this doctrine of total depravity, Heidi discovers, it leads to a better foundation for justice. Friends, if Heidi, the mainline Protestant, Episcopalian, justice-seeking priest, can draw strength and comfort and help from this doctrine, then surely we can too. If last week's doctrine of particular redemption was probably the most subtle and confusing in the canons of Dort, total depravity may be the most misunderstood. And if we are going to find help in it, we need to get past some 
misconceptions, one of which may be that because it came from dour Dutch people, we should leave it behind as part of the old world. You know, I once heard the poet Scott Cairns give a lecture at Calvin College, a, a school with a history of Calvinistic thinking and belief in total depravity. Scott uh, told us at the, at the beginning of his, uh, his comments that before he came, he'd been talking to his Greek Orthodox priest. Cairns said that he was going to give a lecture to Calvinists. Uh, ah, I see, his priest said. Scott said, what, what should I tell them? And the priest replied, Tell them they're not as bad as they think they are. <laughs> and like here, the lecture hall exploded in laughter. My friends, I have found that nothing makes Calvinists laugh quite so much as, as self-deprecating jokes about being a Calvinist. There are a lot of stereotypes about total depravity, but contrary to popular opinion and Karen's priest, total depravity does not mean that all people are as bad as they can possibly be all of the time. Nor does it mean that only Christians can do good things. In fact, the canons nuance something that the Heidelberg Catechism said before this was written. In the Heidelberg Catechism, it says that we are totally corrupt, that we can't do any good. And the canons tune that statement half a degree to say, saving good. The canons tell us that the light of nature and the law of Moses, they're still out there. And so people, blind as they are, can still feel their way toward justice. Friends, even a broken clock is right twice a day. People can and do do the right thing, sometimes more often than Christians. Sometimes they do it without knowing it is the right thing. Sometimes they do it for bad reasons. But perhaps the greatest misconception about this doctrine is that it teaches us to believe that people are bad. Expect the worst and it will always happen, we say. Surround yourself with positive people and you'll be a positive person, we say. We assume that you need to, be, you need to have a positive view of human nature to care about the world. But my friends, being optimistic about human nature it doesn't necessarily lead to positive social change. Do, do you remember apartheid in South Africa? Well, apartheid, this racist and segregationist social and cultural system that gets instituted that affects an entire country, it was developed on the belief that people were good. Because people, they said, are naturally good, you can have two different ethnic communities who never have to overlap with each other, and they can develop separatively and positively in ways that are going to benefit each group. Yeah, how'd that work out? The irony is that South Africa has a Calvinistic tradition that goes way back to the beginning. As one thinker pointed out to us, quote, if, people if the people responsible for developing apartheid had taken human greed and fear and pride and appetite for self-aggrandizement and passion for power more seriously, they would have heeded the Heidelberg Catechism's warning that we are all prone by nature to hate God and our neighbor.
This doctrine bumps up against a belief that we have, which we may not realize that we had had. We want to believe that people are good because we want to be good. This is why in the early church there was a theologian named Pelagius who thought that sin was just a matter of bad actions, bad behaviors. He said that, no, but in our, in our being, in our nature, we are still good. He thought that we do bad things because we have bad examples to learn from. Sin is something that gets passed down by example. We pick up bad habits from our parents and our teachers and our friends. We pick up the culture's bad habits. We bully because we were bullied. Augustine and the early church, they rejected that idea on the same basis that any of us would. Because you spend five minutes in the world, you can see that sin, if it were merely a matter of better education or better examples, we would have done it by now. As the canons of Dort tell us, sin goes much deeper than our behavior. It goes all the way down to our nature. Total depravity is not about deeds, but about a condition that we are in, the symptoms of which are spiritual blindness and despair and futility and poor judgment, perversity and defiance and hardness of heart and impurity in our emotions. You can see it in Eve's eyes. After the serpent suggests to Eve that God has kept something from her, didn't God say you can eat from the trees innocently? Eve says, no, God didn't say that, but it gets her to thinking about the one tree that God did say not to eat from, God did tell us not to eat from this tree in the garden, and from there all she needs is a little push. God told you that, the serpent says, because he's hiding something from you. You won't die, you'll be alive. And this suggestion gives Eve a new way to look at the world, to look at the tree. Suddenly, eating the fruit doesn't look like a bad thing. It looks like a good thing. Her will is corrupted. Suddenly, she's no longer satisfied with knowing what God tells her. She wants to know what God knows, the corruption of the mind. And she doesn't want what God wants for her. She wants what she wants for herself, the corruption of our desires. And instead, she reaches for it. But instead of gaining something, she loses everything. When God asks what has happened, Eve says, I was deceived and I ate. And the story ends, did you see it, with with Adam naming Eve, why does he call her Eve? Because she will be the mother of all the living. The story ends telling us that every one of us is a child of Eve. And the canons tell us that Adam and Eve, they bring upon themselves in that moment spiritual blindness and futility and distortion of judgment, impurity in their emotions and affections, and the result is a condition that gets passed down from our mother Eve, not passed by example, but in our nature. We are totally depraved, meaning that every part of our person has been corrupted. And what that means, my friend, is that there is no way that we can get back to a life with God from where we are. We would not even want to. This is how we finally come to understand the source of our problem. Sin has not just affected our behavior. It's not just infected our desires. It's not just distorted our minds. 
It's corrupted our identity. We think that a real human life can be lived with meaning and significance without ever having to entertain the question of God. We think that we can live on our own. But my friends, this is what got us into the mess in the first place. Article 1, did you see where it begins? It tells us that once upon a time, we were holy, we bore the image of God who made us, we knew who God was, and spiritually speaking, we knew God. We loved and did the right thing simply because we were with God and we knew it was right. And our emotions and our desires and our affections, they were pure because we were with God. We were united with God and it was whole and there was peace. This this is what a real human life means. This is what we were built for. And this is what is lost when Eve takes matters into her own hands and reaches for what she thinks is a good idea at the time. Corruption happens because Eve takes matters into her own hands. She sought goodness. She reached for something that seemed good apart from God. And she was vulnerable to Satan's temptation because God, he wasn't there in that moment. My friends, what the story is telling us is that it is distance from God that makes sin possible. And distance is then what happens in the story when they begin to try to hide from God and from each other. And so distance becomes the consequence when they are exiled from God's presence in the garden. And distance from God is spiritually what we have inherited from our mother Eve. Friends, it means that we come into the world and God is a stranger. It doesn't mean that we do bad things. It means that we are no longer in a relationship with him. And in John 8, we hear Jesus, Jesus of all people, having a conversation with the good people. And what he is trying to tell them is that, yes, they too are born distant from God. Jesus is talking with Pharisees, with those who, if anyone can claim goodness, it's them. And Jesus says relationally to them the same thing that the canons are saying to us. He's saying that we are all, even Pharisees, children of Eve. My teaching can set you free, Jesus says. We've never been unfree, they say. We're not slaves. We are Abraham's descendants. Jesus says, but you sin. And everyone who sins means that there's corruption in their life. And if there's corruption, it means that you are a slave. And everyone knows that a slave doesn't do what they want to do. They do what they're told. And everyone knows that a slave doesn't really belong. They say, we are descendants of Abraham. He says, oh yeah, I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you aren't children. You are not of Abraham, for if you were, you would do what Abraham did, which is to believe God, and God is standing right in front of you right now, and you cannot hear, see, or trust him. And what Jesus is telling the most moral good people in his day is that they don't even realize that they are not free. They cannot see or hear or realize that God himself and Jesus is standing right there in front of him. And the doctrine of total depravity, it's not teaching us to believe in badness. It's teaching us to believe in powerlessness. We are powerless because we are trying to be human on our own. 
We are totally depraved because we were made for total communion. When we lost God, we lost everything else with it. Or as Fleming Rutledge once wrote, sin is not something we commit, it is something we are in. And if sin is something we are in, then it is something that we have to be taken out of again. We think that a human is someone who can make their own choices in life. And especially when it comes to God, that we should be free to decide for ourselves whether or not we will follow him. We imagine that in this world, you could look rationally at the arguments between God and not God, and that as free, autonomous people, we can choose freely to do that on our own. This is in part why Arminius, whom the canons are responding to, taught that humans are not totally corrupt. He said, yeah, sin affected your mind, but we can will ourselves to follow God. He thought that we could still make the right choice. That salvation was about God putting us back on our feet so that we can try again. So that this time we can make a different choice than our mother Eve. But he forgot the beginning of the story. A real human life, a good human life, is not someone choosing on their own to obey God. That is exactly where the problem came from. Eve chooses on her own to do what seems right. How can us choosing on our own heal the problem if that is what caused it in the first place? How can we choose God, in the words of Jesus, if we cannot even see that he is standing right in front of us? We are slaves, and we are dead in our sins, and we are lost, and we are fallen. And my friends, this is what God has overcome for us by uniting himself to us. John comes into the world, Jesus right along behind him, and John gets this mission from God, and he's standing on the banks of the Jordan River, and he is saying, repent and be washed. He is talking to the good people and the normal people and the bad people and the people who speak Hebrew and the people who speak Aramaic and the people who speak Greek and who speak Latin, he's speaking to all of them, and he is asking them to identify with their sins and their corruption. He is asking them to identify with the thing that all of us have in common from the moment we come into this world. And who should walk up to John but Jesus himself? And John says, this isn't for you. And Jesus says, this is how the world gets saved. This is what fulfills righteousness. What does he mean? He means that we do not get rescued by making a better choice. We get rescued by God choosing to identify with us. Jesus goes into the waters that we have muddied with our sins. He goes into our tomb that we have made dark with our death. Why? So that he could lead us out with him. In Adam, all die, Paul says. In Christ, all are made alive. And what this means is that we are absolutely powerless to find the thing that we are most hungry for. We are unable to find the thing for which we are made. The God who made us. 
And if by the Holy Spirit the weight of that truth sinks upon you even now, then my friends, I have the happiest news for you. The point of this doctrine was never about badness, but powerlessness. And the good news about being powerless is that it gives us just the right time to see what God has done about it, which is to unite himself to us. Did you forget, Paul writes, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him. And if buried, then we will be raised to a whole new way of life and a new identity as children of God. Which God has actually already pictured for us twice. Friends, congregation, for you, God created the world. For you, Jesus was born into the world. For you, he lived a holy life. For you, he died and was raised from the dead. For you, he intercedes in heaven right now. And for you, he is coming again. And all of this he did for you before any of us knew anything about it. And this is why we continue to tell the story over and over again, for it is in telling the story that we learn that it is our story. For this is how the gospel is made real. We love because God first loved us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God and most merciful Father, you've given us the rich and precious jewel of your word. Give us your spirit so that it can be written in our hearts and give us everlasting comfort so that it can reform us, so that it can renew us into your image and so that it can build us up into the perfect building that is Jesus Christ and so that it can increase in us all heavenly virtue. Grant this, Father, for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, amen. We are learning to respond to God together and all his words of grace pictured for us in the water of baptism and in the story of Jesus. We do this together sometimes corporately and sometimes we have ways of doing it individually or in small groups. And so I want to invite our Echo Age students, which is third through fifth graders, to come forward because we'd like to bless you for a moment to talk with some of our church leaders about the things that we are hearing from God together in church. I sit with you? People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. And friends, as we go, 
to love and serve Jesus, I would invite you to rise in body or in spirit for the God who has gathered us here, who marks us with his promises, has one more promise for you. That is that his face in Jesus is now turned toward you. And wherever you go this week and the rest of your life, his smile and favor has turned toward you. Friends, I'd invite you to open your hands, lift up your eyes and receive it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange divine i can sing all is mine yet not i but through christ in me
follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Friends, go in peace to love and serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a blessed week.